given it to men to preach that word. And both I and the people listening to me today need to hear it and heed it and obey it. So Lord, I pray for us and our hearts that you would open our minds to understand the truth of your word, to see the Jesus that it reveals, to believe on him for our salvation, and to walk in newness of life and obedience to what you have commanded us. Lord, we need you to do this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so without your spirit moving, we can do nothing. We can't believe, we can't preach effectively. You must work, but we know that you're here by your spirit. And so we trust that you will do a good work among us today. And we pray that you would, both in my heart and in these. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you see a visual representation of the Ten Commandments, it might either be one of those little plaques that you might have hanging up on your wall, or you might think of the epic movie with Charlton Heston and he's carrying them down the mountain. You know how they tend to have a particular look, right? The two stone tablets are usually shaped like old tombstones, right? And four of the commandments are written on the first tablet, and the other six are written on the second tablet. And they kind of look like this, like the McDonald's arches. (laughs) Now, most likely, this isn't actually what they were like. They were probably... Two exact copies, one for the Lord and one for Israel, with all ten commandments engraved front and back on each one. So it wouldn't have been the first four on this one and the remaining six on this one. All ten would be, have been on each one, so that the Lord would have a copy of the covenant and Israel would have a copy of the covenant. However, it is true, there's a reason we tend to think of the first four and the last six, There is, if you will, a first and a second group within the ten. After number four, there's a a shift in emphasis. Now, the first four, actually, I want us to review them together. Because wouldn't it be awesome if at the end of this series, everyone in our congregation, including the kids, knew the Ten Commandments in order? So I'm going to help, but you, you say it along with me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall... Have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or carved image. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Good, good. We should work on that. All right, so these four, these first four, teach Israel the basics of how they are to relate to God. They're, if you will, vertical commandments. The remaining six remain, explain how the Israelites are to relate to other people, especially in the covenant community. They're horizontal commands. First four, they're Godward. Last six, they're peopleward. Now let's compare this to what Jesus says in the Gospels. Matthew 22, someone asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he says to the guy, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you could say that Jesus condenses the ten into two. The first group of four can be summed up, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The final group of six can be summed up by, love your neighbor as yourself. And today we're making that transition from the vertical commands to the first of the horizontal commands, moving into love your neighbor as yourself. This fifth commandment, which reads, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's break this down. You might be helped. There is a bulletin insert that has a sermon outline in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. So, first off, what is this command? It's a command to honor. What does the Lord require? That his people show honor to parents. We'll break that down. Showing honor includes respect, gratitude, obedience, trust, and support, all offered from a heart of love. Love your neighbors yourself, including your parents. All right, let's go through those. Respect. Honor involves respect. This is an acknowledgement that I am under obligation to my parents to bless them by my thoughts and words and actions. Kids, and I'm going to be talking to you multiple times in the course of this sermon, trying to put that more simply, listen to this. Honor means having a respectful and good attitude so that you're trying to think well of mom and dad and trying to happily do what's right by them. Because God's put them over you. All right, that's respect and attitude. Gratitude. This is a recognition that God has used my parents for my good. First in giving me life, and also in giving me other blessings. Kids, that means that honor involves being thankful for mom and dad and for all the good things that they do for you. It means being thankful. These first two, I would say, are universal, and they can apply to every parent-child relationship. They can apply to every parent-child relationship, no matter how old or young. Additionally, I would say that children are to continue to honoring, honor their parents all the way through their lives in these ways. These next three are not universal. They're not for always. They apply in some circumstances, but not in all. Number one, obedience. Honor involves obedience. Heeding the commands and instructions and rules given by parents and doing them with a good will. Kids, I think you know this one. Honor means listening to mom and dad and doing what they tell you, when they tell you to do it, and with a willing heart. Obeying what they tell you, when they tell you, and with a willing heart. Now, obedience is a part of honor that doesn't continue forever. It has a terminus. 
It applies to children who are still living within their parents' household and who are dependent on them. That doesn't continue forever. So this applies to children who are under mom and dad's roof still. The obligation to obey ends when a child marries or when they leave home and begin to live truly independently. Trust. Trust. That's a recognition that my parents just have greater life experience, and with that generally comes, generally comes greater wisdom, greater understanding of the big picture, and greater ability to do what's best for me. Kids, honoring your parents means you trust that mom and dad usually know better than you do. And they're going to do what they need to do to take care of you and what's best for you, even when it's not what you would choose. Now, trust is also obviously not a universal component of honor. As we mature and the gap between our wisdom and our parents' wisdom closes, things change. As adults, we still do well to listen with respect to our parents' counsel, but then we have the freedom to do what seems best to us, since we're no longer there under their authority. Then, unfortunately, also, some parents are deficient in wisdom, or deficient in competence, deficient in love, perhaps, and so they're not trustworthy. But this is an aberration from God's intended design. Ordinarily, trust is a part of honor. And then support. Assuming the responsibility to provide and care for the needs of our parents in the later years as they increasingly need help. In grateful recompense for all the provision and care they lavished on us in our early years. Kids, that means that when mom and dad get older and they start needing help, guess whose job it is to take care of them? Yours. Just like they're taking care of you right now, one day it will be up to you to take care of them. That's the responsibility God gives you. Now, support is, of course, a component of honor that doesn't even start until adulthood. But Jesus and Paul both have very sharp, rebuking words for adult children who break this commandment by failing to care for aging parents. And the last component of honor, it's a heart of love. It's a heart of love. Any of these other aspects of honor, respect, gratitude, obedience, trust, support, could be done superficially or merely externally, right? Kids can obey, technically complying with a request, all the time seething with resentment. It's been known to happen. (laughs) Children can also put on a show of respect as a means to getting what they want, all the while despising their parents on the inside. That has also been known to happen. But of course, that isn't honor at all. And God always looks on the heart 
And he's calling on Israel to show honor to their parents from the heart. They're to love their neighbor, in this case their father and mother, as they love themselves. All right, so this is what honor means. Let's look at the objects of this honor, parents and beyond. So we've looked at the components of honor. Now let's look at the proper objects of honor. What does it mean to honor your father and your mother? It might sound crazy that I'm even asking that, but trust me, I'm not. Every interpreter that I know of believes that this command starts with your physical parents, but then extends beyond that. God intended this principle of honor to actually apply to every situation in which an Israelite was under a legitimate human authority. So it's not just mom and dad. It's much broader than that. See, God's intention, God's intention and his design is for us to live under authority. There never was a time and there never will be a time when human beings are independent and not under someone's legitimate authority. God himself, of course, is the ultimate authority under whose rule every human being must live. Every being, in fact, not just humans. Everyone alike is under his rule. That started at the beginning. It will never, ever, ever end. But he has also ordained other human authorities for us as well. He gives rulers authority over citizens, husbands authority over wives, elders authority over church members, and, of course, parents, authority over children. Those don't all look the same. There are nuances. But the reality is we all live under human authority. And when we interpret the fifth commandment, it's therefore appropriate to expand it to mean this. And this is in your theme statement. God calls us to give all proper honor to the authorities he's placed in our lives. And we ought not to chafe at this. We do, but we ought not to. We ought not to chafe at this. Because the Bible teaches us that living in submission to proper authority is a blessing. It's a blessed situation to be under good and legitimate authority. How do I know that it's blessed? Because of the promise the promise that attends this command. The fifth commandment comes with a wonderful promise of life. Honor your father and mother that, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now there's two parts to that blessing. Length of days is the first part. That's talking about quantity of life. And then it's Life in the land. Life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Meaning the promised land. The land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's not long life in the desert. It's not long life in Antarctica. It's long life in the land of blessing. Flowing with milk and honey. This is talking about quality of life. Long life. Abundant life in the place of God's rich blessing. That's what's promised to those who live well under the authority that God's placed over them. So kids, you want a long, happy, abundant life that's blessed by God and that is wonderful? 
honor mom and dad. That's part of, that's part of how he set it up. That's what Proverbs 3 that Jacob read for us was talking about. It starts off like this. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let my heart, let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And that that gets at the mechanism of this blessing a little bit because the child who honors and obeys parental authority will be trained how to live wisely how to live well. And that's going to lead to long life in the land. The exercise of parental authority gives wisdom to the child. The child then lives that out over the course of a long and abundant life. In fact, this promise, some of you aren't going to be shocked at this, this promise actually points forward to an even greater fulfillment, just like the Sabbath command did. See, this commandment is actually holding out to us eternal life. Not just 80 years instead of 50. This is holding out eternal life in the true promised land, the paradise of God in the new heavens and the new earth. This is talking about heaven. Length of days forever and ever. There is, by the way, and the scriptures almost seem to put the emphasis on this. There is, by the way, a flip side that's fleshed out in the scriptures. Death is the promised reward of those who will not honor their parents and heed this commandment. Proverbs 30, verse 17 gives the general principle. Very graphic. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley, and eaten by the vultures. That's that's what it says. Death is promised for failure to give honor. There were severe punishments. This death sometimes came at the hands of God's of God's uh, of the authorities that God had set up. Leviticus 20, 19, twenty verse nine: Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. End of story. Exodus 21, verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Then in Deuteronomy 21, there's a very interesting case in Israel of an incorrigibly stubborn and rebellious son. A young man who's persistently and grievously resisting all his parents' discipline and correction, and he's living like a scoundrel. And it says that son must be put to death. And the community is to purge the evil from their midst, and all Israel will hear and fear. Yeah, honoring your father and your mother is a really, really big deal to God. He takes this command very, very seriously. It's actually a matter of life and death. Life is promised. Death is promised. And therein lies our problem, of course. Because as it turns out, Israel proved to be the quintessential stubborn and rebellious son. The people were rebellious before they came to Sinai. The Sinai covenant certainly wasn't sufficient to curb their rebellious spirit. Down through the centuries, times without number, God would send prophet after prophet. He's stretching out his hands. He's appealing to Israel. Honor me. I'm your father. 
that your days may be long in the land that I'm giving you. But Israel would not. Israel would not. And so they were finally cast out from the land and given over to death in the exile. But this is broader than Israel, of course. Every human being by nature is pathologically allergic to living under authority. We're naturally inclined to kick against it. Right at the beginning of our race, Adam, God's first human son, who was under obligation to honor and obey his father. But he chose to buck, right? He determined he would throw off God's authority and become his own master. And his decision to eat the fruit in defiance of God's command was, well, think about it. It was a failure of respect. It was a failure of gratitude. It was a failure of obedience. It was a failure of trust. It was a failure of love. Just was abject failure. He didn't honor God, his father, and as a result, he died. And all of us have died with him. Because with one exception, every single son and daughter of Adam since then has followed him in his rebellion and railed against the authority of God and for good measure against the authority of earthly parents. Kids, another question for you. Do you find obedience to mom and dad easy or difficult? What about having a good attitude and trusting that your mom and dad know what's best? Is that easy or difficult? When that comes, when what comes into your mind when you really, 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 really want to do something and mom and dad say no? Do you get mad? Do you get sneaky? Try and find a way around what they've said. Have you ever gone and done it anyway and then lied and said, oh, I I just forgot what you said? Or, I didn't hear you when you said that. See, you've all, we've all, disobeyed the command to honor our father, and our mother. In fact, you've done it lots of times. And kids, please don't try and deny it. Deep down, you know that what I'm saying is true. That means you've also failed to honor and obey God, the Heavenly Father. And that's a really big problem. That's a huge, huge problem. Because the Bible says, in that passage from Romans that I led in the Confession of Sin... Those who are disobedient to parents are guilty and deserve to die. Deserve to die. That's a huge, huge problem for you. It's hard to hear this, kids, but you deserve to die because of your sin and your disobedience. And that death is only a picture of the eternal death that awaits sinners who will not obey God. That's what you deserve. Eternal death. And God promises to give it to you if you fail to honor him. That means you need someone to save you. You need someone to save you. And the good news, of course, is that Jesus has come down to be that savior. 
So we now need to take a look at how Jesus is qualified and able to save us. He, of course, had to succeed where all of us failed. If he's going to save us, he has to get it right. He had to keep all the commandments perfectly, including this fifth commandment. And he, he did. So first, let's look at his subjection to his earthly father and mother. Jesus honored and obeyed his earthly father and mother, Mary and Joseph. He lived in subjection under their authority while he was a child, as was only right. And, and this wasn't make-believe obedience. He really was their son. The fact that he was also God didn't change that. He was really a human child with parents, and he was obligated, he had to honor and obey them, just as surely as any of you kids have to obey your folks. Jesus had to obey his mom and dad. That's kind of wild to think about, isn't it? He had to obey his mom and dad. But he did. We don't, but he did. In fact, he did it perfectly. Now, what do we make of that incident in the temple, some of you are wondering? Remember when he was 12? 12, that age. Mary and Joseph bring him to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when they leave to return to Nazareth, Jesus remains behind in Jerusalem. Once they figure out that he's missing, Mary and Joseph retrace their steps. They find him in the temple, finally, after spending three days searching the city for him. Finally, they go to the temple. They see him there. And he's sitting among the teachers, and he's asking them questions. And he's answering questions that they're giving him. And the the teachers are astonished at his amazing level of understanding. And then this is what, I'm just going to read from Luke 2. When his parents saw it, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, friends, in all of this, Jesus is not being disobedient. And he's not failing to treat his parents with honor. His mother, admittedly, is not quite so sure about that. She's been turning all Jerusalem upside down, looking for him for the last three days. And even as her distress and her anxiety give way to relief, she chides him, right? Son, why have you treated us this way? But her reaction, her perfectly understandable mom reaction, is nonetheless mistaken. He is not, in fact, dishonoring her. But he does have a higher allegiance. Jesus must be in his father's house. Jesus must be about his father's business. Not Joseph's business, but God's. And God's will for him trumps Joseph's will for him. It trumps Mary's will for him. He's the Messiah. He's got other things 
to involve himself with. Actually, he gently hints to her, she ought to have known this. This is a lesson she's got to learn, especially given what his future holds. But happily, happily things like that didn't happen very often. Usually their legitimate parental authority over him and his father's heavenly authority ran along in the same channels. How do we know that? Because in verse 51 we see he went down to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The usual course of events was his father's will and their will were in tandem. But of course even that was for a time, right? He grew into manhood and at that point his obligation to obey his earthly parents ended like it does but not his obligation to his heavenly father. He still had to be about his father's business. What was his father's business? The father had sent him into the world with a purpose. 1 John 4.14, the father has sent the son, why? To be the savior of the world. 1 John, no, sorry, just John. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And in order for Jesus to save the world, two things were required. Number one, he had to have the righteousness that we all lack. He had to live in perfect obedience to the Father. He had to live in perfect obedience to the law, to love the Lord his God perfectly, to love his neighbor as himself perfectly. He had to keep every one of the commandments perfectly, of course, including this fifth one. He had to be the perfect, obedient son. Because we weren't. We weren't. But he was. Not one act of defiance, Not one bad attitude, not one ungrateful spirit, not one disrespectful word, either toward his mom and dad, and also not toward his heavenly father either. He was the righteous, obedient, honoring son. So far, so good. But then a second thing was also required. A much deeper obedience to his father. An obedience which proved significantly harder. Because Jesus had to willingly take upon himself the terrible punishment that we deserved for our rebellion. We had disobeyed the Father, and he willingly had to take the spanking in our place. He had to be wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah says, and crushed for our iniquities. He had to take on himself the chastisement that brought us peace and the scourging, which was the only way by which we could be healed. And it wasn't the physical death, not just the physical death. That wasn't the truly horrifying part for Jesus. The truly awful thing was that he was going to have to undergo the Father's displeasure. He was going to have to be utterly rejected by his Father. As an obedient son, he had never, ever, ever experienced anything like that. He never experienced a moment when he was out of his Father's favor. And it was going to be horrible. But it was what the Father had sent him to do. It was necessary if he was going to save the world. And Jesus swallowed hard. He swallowed really hard. He nearly, he wanted to divert. But he never, he never gave his will to that desire. He always said, not my will, but your will be done. He said, Father, I will obey Glorify your son. 
so that your son may glorify you. And so Jesus became obedient to, even to the point of death, even death on a cross for you, for me, so that we could be brought back into obedience to the Father. And that brings us now to our responsibility. How must you and I keep the fifth commandment in Christ? Well, we honor heavenly authority. We honor heavenly authority by believing the Son whom he has sent. So first off, we are under obligation to honor the Heavenly Father. The way we do this is we turn. We turn from our sin. We repent of our rebellion and our disobedience. And we submit ourselves to the authority of his Christ. Psalm 2 says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way, for his anger is soon kindled. But how blessed are those who take refuge in him. Believe in the Son. Kiss the Son. Take refuge in the Son. We must submit ourselves to the Son. We must believe in Jesus. That is God's primary command to you this morning. To believe in his Son whom he has sent. Accept the sacrifice that he made as payment for your sins. Take him to be your savior. Take him to be your king. Submit to him as your Lord. Honor him. Kids, are you listening? You've been disobedient. You know it. I know it. Your parents know it. But Jesus is willing and able to save you. He's willing and he's able to save you. Believe in him. Thank God that he's provided you with such a good savior. Trust yourself. Trust your whole life to him. Commit yourself to obeying and following him all the days of your life. Love him because he died for a sinner like you. That's how you get from being a rebel to being a child of God. Believe in the son whom he sent. And there's a warning that goes along with this. If you won't submit yourself to Jesus Christ, whether child or adult, if you will not submit yourselves to Jesus Christ, don't pretend that you're good with God. Jesus said, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you reject Jesus as the Savior for your sin... God will reject you. So we keep the fifth commandment, firstly, by honoring God's heavenly authority. And then we also do it by honoring earthly authorities. Now this is awesome. Because once we believe the gospel, once we've been made new creatures in Christ, we're actually able to do this. We're able to honor the human authorities that he still has over us to be our good. We're able to do that even with a good and happy heart. All the authorities, our rulers, our bosses, husbands, elders, and of course, our parents. Now there's too much there. I can't unpack all those. For the most part, I'm going to drill down only into one of them. The obvious one, the honor that we owe to our earthly parents. So first, a word to you kids who are still under your parents' roof. Let's just review. For you right now, kids, honor means respecting your mom and dad with your attitude. It means being grateful to them, 
Wow, do you know how much it means for your folks when you actually say thank you to them? Try it. Gratitude. It means obeying their word promptly and completely and with a willing spirit. It means trusting them to know what's best for you and not foolishly thinking that your mom and dad are just dumb or out of touch or behind the times. And if you could run your life, things would just be a whole lot better. You've got to reject that kind of thinking. And finally, it means loving them. It means loving them. Now a word to you who are parents of kids who are at home. Moms, dads, dads especially. Here's what I think this involves. It means that you have to expect and require obedience and honor in your home. And it means you have to be willing to discipline disrespect. Well, let me ask you this. While they're in your home, you have responsibility, do you not, to enforce the other commands? Aren't you responsible to make sure that they do not murder? Aren't you responsible to enforce that they do not steal? That they do not bear false witness? You have a responsibility to make sure that your minor children are obedient to the law. Why would the command to honor your father and mother be any different? Is that not good for them? Is that not a matter of life and death to them? You must require obedience to this command, just as you would to the others. Now, why do I say this to you? Because I think we get a little squirrely about this. But what's the reality? You don't want to be party to your kid's death. If they fail to honor you as their parents, the consequence is death. Do you want the ravens plucking out their eyes? Of course you don't. Then why would you allow your kids to go around your home disregarding and disrespecting your word? And dads, I'm specifically and especially thinking perhaps about allowing your kids to get away with disrespecting mom. Do not allow that. Now, hear me, because this could be wildly badly done. When it's rightly done, it's not self-serving. This is not, it is not about you selfishly demanding respect because you're the big man and they should show respect for you, darn it, because you're so fantastic, and that's what I'm talking about. That's not the attitude at all. Yes, you must expect them to respect. You must expect them to to obey, but what's your motivation? It's not your own glory, like you're on some power trip. Your motivation is their good, because, listen to me, by honoring and obeying you, that is a stepping stone to them honoring and obeying God. They're practicing on you. They're practicing on you the attitude that that they will have toward God. And you've got to humbly teach them to honor your authority because you're training them to honor God's authority. It's not about you. It's about them and God, ultimately. And there's a great big catch. There's a great big catch. For this to go well, for this whole operation to go well, it requires obedience on your part. 
that requires obedience on your part, dads, moms. In Ephesians 6, after Paul quotes the fifth commandment to the children, he says, Kids, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Then he turns to parents, and especially to fathers, and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children, but nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, moms, this whole enterprise requires you to be seeking the Lord with your whole heart, obeying him faithfully, being in submission to his commands, because hypocrisy is death. Hypocrisy is death. Your kids will loathe it if you in the name of Jesus, require their obedience and respect if you live in front of them in open sin and disobedience to Jesus. If that's the case, they will likely learn to resent Jesus. And they will be responsible for that sin. God will hold them responsible. But he will also hold you accountable for having been a stumbling block to them. God forbid that you should be a stumbling block to your kids in coming to faith in Christ. You must be in submission to God's authority as you insist that they be in submission to your authority. Teach them about grace. Expecting obedience is good, it's right, but of course keep telling them the gospel. Keep telling them that even though God requires them to obey, and you require them to obey, and it's good for them to obey, but their obedience is not the means to their justification. It's not how they get saved. They can't obey their way into heaven because they're sinners. Instead, they must believe in Jesus for salvation. That's the only way that they're truly going to be able to obey from the heart. But until that day comes, and you be praying that it does come, you still got to hold them accountable. It's a lie, friends, it's a lie that kids cannot be held accountable to obey until they're regenerate. It's a lie that you can't hold them accountable to obey until they become a Christian. I mean, what's the alternative? Would you train them to disobey God? And that it's okay to disregard his word and yours? No, that's only heaping up condemnation for them. You must teach them to obey. Discipline your son while there is hope. And do not desire his death. So parents, we've got to help our kids. We've got to model for them. First, we've got to model for them what it means to show honor by living in happy submission to Jesus' authority. Point them. Keep pointing them to Jesus, who's the only one who can save them. And then get them ready to submit to him by requiring them to submit to you. A word to adult children. A word to adult children. All of us with living parents fit this bill. Honor does not mean any longer that you must obey them if they're out of your house. But it does mean that you still robustly honor them. It still means respect, gratitude, in some measure trust, in love, and eventually in support. 
you have an ongoing obligation and responsibility to them. And Paul isn't afraid to use the idea of repayment. He says, support them as a repayment for all that they've done for you. They gave so very much to you. You must in turn care for them. As far as it depends on you, that means you must make sure that they're not in want in their old age. God makes you responsible for them as he once made them responsible for you. Now, sadly, and we have to address this situation, what if some of you have parents who weren't intrinsically honorable, who weren't honorable in their characters? What if their treatment of you was negligent or neglectful or even abusive? Well, friends, you're still, you're still called to, and you're still able to honor them, even if they weren't honorable. Not a fully orbed honor like I, by God's grace, can give to my father and mother because they raised me in the gospel. But you can still honor them. You're still called to honor them. I, grew, I, I, had, a, I had a really good friend, not someone from our church, I have a really good friend who grew up with such a father. She came to faith as an adult. She had to come to grips with the reality that God called her to honor her father in spite of all their complicated and difficult history. And in obedience to her heavenly father, who is perfect and who loves her perfectly and provides for everything, including providing Jesus, in obedience to her heavenly father and by the power of Jesus whose righteousness she now had, she determined that she was going to honor her dad. She wasn't obliged to obey him anymore and she could not trust him, but she understood that she could still pray for him. She could still wish him good She could still be grateful, at least that he had given her life. She could still love him and forgive him and show grace to him. And she has determined that she will still do what she can to honor her dad and be a blessing to him for as long as he lives. And I honor her for that spirit. It's still possible. Your dad may have been a real jerk. Your mom may have been a real jerk. You still have the responsibility and the ability in Christ to show appropriate honor. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we have again, once again, the perfect Father, a loving Heavenly Father. So let us, let us keep the fifth commandment by believing in the Son that He sent and by reverencing him and blessing him and giving him eternal thanks and trusting him, obeying him, and loving him with all our hearts, souls, and minds. And then let us, let us love one another. Let us love our earthly parents and seek to do them good. And let us even prioritize the fact that we're a family too. We're the family of God, and we are all brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of one father. Oh, a good father. One day we get to see him 
and be with him forever and to know his provision and his love perfectly. And on that day, we will serve him perfectly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we want for our hearts to be filled with honor for you, to be filled with praise for a God who would reconcile sinners to himself, even at the cost of his own son. We think about what our parents have done for us. That's nothing in comparison to what you have done for us in Christ in giving your own precious and perfect son that we might be redeemed. Lord, may we heed you and hear you when you say to look to your son and believe. And Lord, may that lead us into a great and wonderful lifelong obedience until one day we are with you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.